Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask that you would act amongst us this morning. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for your law is being broken. We see it all around in our world and even in our own nation and even in our own lives. So we ask that you would act this morning by sending your spirit so that we don't break your law and so that we can encourage others to keep your royal law for themselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Colossians, and we're up to chapter 2 now. We've been learning uh, what the Apostle Paul has to say to this church, uh, which he probably never visited, but he had heard of, and so he sent them a letter to be an encouragement to them, and he spoke wonderfully about their faith and their love that he is very thankful for, and about the Lord Jesus Christ and who Jesus is. And then we've been looking at his, uh, last week we saw his purpose, uh, what he desires to do, that he is the one who is, has been given a commission to present to the world and to the Colossians as well the word of God in its fullness. That was back in chapter 1, verse 25. I've become its servant by the commission God gave to me, uh, me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. And so we looked at that last week and what it means to proclaim Christ and so that people will be perfect. Uh, That's what he says in verse 28. We proclaim him, that's Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And we looked at what a struggle that is for the Apostle Paul to present Christ to others and what a struggle it is for us as well. And so he goes on to speak about how it is a struggle for him in chapter 2. He continues and looking at what that looks like when people are presented as perfect in Christ. In verse 2 of chapter 2, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. This is what it means to be perfect in Christ, to be mature in him, that you would be encouraged in heart, united in love and have the full riches of complete understanding. And then he goes on about the Lord Jesus Christ and then he starts to speak about part of the other reason why he's written this letter and that's in verse 4. He says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Paul is writing to the church in Colossae because it appears that some heresy has broken out within the church and we're going to start studying that in closer detail in the weeks to come and even this morning and that's what the Apostle Paul wants to warn the Colossians about and so he goes on to speak about how they should be uh, firmly fixed in Christ in verses 6 and 7 and then in verse 8 he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. And that's what I want to look at particularly this morning is that verse 8 there and the danger that the church in Colossae faced and that we face today as well. We need to see to it. We need to watch out. What do we need to watch out for? That no one takes us captive. The Greek word that is translated there as captive there is used in reference to kidnapping or taking spoils in war. And so there's people who are around the Colossians at this time, and they're wanting to take them captive, even enslave them. How are they going to do this? Well, the tactics that the kidnappers use are hollow or empty, deceptive philosophies. We see that in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. There are people who are seeking to lure the Colossians away from Christ with teachings that aren't true or even deliberately deceitful. The people know that what they're teaching is false, but they're wanting to drag the Colossians away and follow after them. Why are these philosophies so false? Well, it's because of their origin. 
of these philosophies that are being presented to the Colossian church. We see that in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. These heresies that were being presented to the church in Colossae were dependent upon human tradition. In other words, somebody somewhere had made it up. A human was the origin of these philosophies, these ideas, these heresies that were being presented to the church in Colossae. And it's similar to uh, what we heard warned about in Jeremiah chapter 23, that reading that we had before for us. It's been something that's been going on uh, since uh, man was on this earth uh, after the fall, that people are making up false ideas all the time. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16, uh, we see the prophet Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. People have been making up false ideas uh, that have been coming down through the ages in the time of Jeremiah as well and here in the church in Colossae as well. And the Apostle Paul wants to warn such people, uh, the Colossian church, about such people. And it's not just that they come from human tradition, but we also see that they depend upon the basic principles of this world in verse 8. What does that mean? Well, commentators uh, struggle to understand what is actually being suggested there in the original Greek, uh, but it's probably most likely a reference to the demonic that the basic principles of this world are referring to the evil forces of the demons and, of course, the prince of demons, Satan himself. And that's what's going on within the church in Colossae, is that heresies are coming in that are not only being made up by humans, but are being encouraged by the deceitfulness of demons. Now, what is the way for the church in Colossae to tell if these teachings are false? Well... The Apostle Paul tells us at the end of verse 8 what teaching should depend upon. It shouldn't depend upon human tradition. It shouldn't depend upon the basic principles of this world, but it should depend upon Christ. Christ is the one by which we can tell if something is an empty, a hollow, and deceptive philosophy. And this is good advice for us today. It's not just good advice for the early church, uh, the church in Colossae, it's good advice for us today because many still want to take us captive, to kidnap us and take us away from Jesus Christ. I've even seen it in my life as people have been led away from the Lord Jesus. They've said they affirmed Christ, they confessed Christ as their saviour, but then they are led away, they are led captive by others. How do kidnappers take them away from Jesus Christ? Well, it's by empty philosophies and deceptive ideas that they get into people's heads and they spread these evil ideas towards them. And what is the foundation of such philosophies? Well, we still see it's the same foundation that was there in the church in Colossae so many years ago, that it these, these false ideas depend on human traditions and the basic principles of this world. We see that so many of these ideas that come along, that drag people away from Christ, we can see their origin in man. We look at the false religions of the world and we see how they are started by man. You can usually go back to one individual who has kicked it all off and they often appeal to someone by 
appealing to their pride and through rules. You see this with most of the false religions of the world. They love to have extensive rules. And this, I think, is what uh, was going on in the church in Colossae, as we will look at in coming weeks, about the different rules that are given uh, from verse 16 and following. And down in verse 20, the Apostle Paul speaks about it again. In verse 20, he says, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, that same word uh, that is used for uh, the foundation of these false ideas that are coming in in verse 8, the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And you see this with a lot of false teachings that are out there. They have very extensive rules. They're appealing to your pride that if you do these things, then you will be right with God. They have rules about your time, about attendance with things and volunteering and who you can see, which family members you're allowed to meet with, which friends you're allowed to see. They have rules about what you are to do with your money. They have rules, extensive rules about what you can wear, what you can eat, what you can read, what you can watch, what sort of music you can listen to, who you can listen to speaking. They have extensive rules and so they're founded on man. They love to come up with rules. We see that in the early church, where we see it in the time of Jesus, with the Pharisees. Extensive rules that man has made up. Jesus is very careful to point that out. They're traditions taught by men. And so there's not a lot of freedom when you look at these false religions that come along to make your mind up about certain things. There's not liberty to examine yourself and to come up with your own way. You have a liberty of conscience as a Christian to work out what you will do with your time and with your energy and with your money. Another example of uh, philosophy that takes over today, uh, satanic philosophy that's more satanic than we look at some of the false religions of the world that is very popular today, is eroticism. It appears to be against rules. This is at the other extreme. One end says, oh, you've got to keep these rules. Another extreme can be what we call antinomianism, where you reject all rules. And we see this with eroticism, that there's sexual freedom. But it's actually quite enslaving. It does take you captive. We see with those false religions that they take you captive by all the rules that they have. But we see with eroticism that it takes you captive as well. You see that more and more time and money is given over to your lusts as you go into a spiral, particularly with pornography. You see that pornography, it takes more and more time from people as they continue to engage in it. And it doesn't stay in a cage. You think that you can have that as a private sphere of your life, but it starts to affect your thoughts about everything, including people, what you think of other humans, and what you think of God. And so we see the Satanism that is behind it as it proclaims freedom, sexual freedom, but instead is leading to more and more captivity for the person who is ensnared in it. So we, like the church in Colossae so many years ago, we must remember that we're like fish swimming in a big ocean. And much of the teaching that we eat is from God's spirit and is delightfully rich and good for us. But there are evil fishermen about. We need to see to it that we are not made captive to them. They have very attractive lures but the lures are hollow or empty, we could say, with no food at all inside them, and they do not satisfy. I actually watched a, a clip on the internet this week of a, a fisherman trying to catch fish with lures, and they're just plastic hollow devices that could float on the top of the water. They're actually nothing in them whatsoever other than air. They're very attractive to the fish. He was able to catch quite a few fish with one of these lures in the few minutes that I watched him as he threw it out on the water. But there was no food for those fish that 
bit down on those empty lures. And the lures are deceitful. They've got a hook in them that captures us for a net. And eventually, for those fish that I was watching, for stomach acid, where they will burn. And that's the same for us today. We've got to be very careful with the different philosophies that come along, the different religions, the false ideas that come along. They've got a hook in them, and they hook us, and they capture us for a net and drag us away, not for the pain, the burning of stomach acid, but for the fires of hell for all eternity. So we need to be alert, like Paul was wanting the Colossians to be alert so many years ago. We need to be alert and recognize the lures of men and demons when they come along. So how do we do it? How do we spot false teachings? Well, we could learn a lot about false philosophies and false religions, but there are so many new ones And there are new spins on old ones all the time. You could get a book on world religions and we could start studying one every week. And we could do it week after week after week and we could do it for five years, every Sunday. Look at a different false religion, a different philosophy, a false idea that is out there. And we could go on and on and on and on. Is that what we're supposed to do? So that we're not made captive, we're meant to look at as many lures as possible so that we can recognise them and so we can stay away from them? Well, it's interesting that the Apostle Paul didn't go into extensive detail about the heresy that was in the Colossian church. We'll get some details in weeks to come as we look at the rest of chapter 2, but it's very interesting that he's almost deliberately vague. And it's put scholars into a real spin over the centuries to try and work out what was the precise heresy that was going on in the Colossian church. They look at all the different heresies that we know of that were around in the first century and they say, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And they try and work out what exactly it is. But the Apostle Paul doesn't seem to be too concerned to label it and to speak about particular teachers that were teaching false ideas so that the Colossians would watch out for that teacher. So how does the Apostle Paul want us to spot the false ideas when they come along, when people try to lure us away from the Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't there a general way which we could prepare ourselves so that we're not snagged by false ideas? Well, yes, there is. The best way to recognise counterfeits is to handle the genuine a lot and to compare to the genuine. And what is the genuine? Well, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this across the board. Whenever you want to uh, compare something, whether it's a fake, to uh, you want to know if something's a fake, you, you look at what the genuine looks like. I even saw this this week. I was out getting some milk late at night. I went down to a grocery store near us. And I had to wait a while, even though there was nobody in the store uh, whatsoever, no other customers, but there were two checkout uh, girls, and they were intently poring over something at one of the checkouts. And eventually they said, oh, yes, come over, buy your milk. And I went over and I asked what they were doing, because I could see all this money laid out. And uh, they'd found a counterfeit note uh, as they were cleaning out the tills for the end of the evening. And what were they doing? They had all these $50 notes spread out across the counter and then they had one in the middle of it which they could tell by, it was a fact, and the girl said, I could tell because it's slightly different yellow shade. It was a very, they held it up to me to see. It was quite interesting that they let a customer come over where it must have been about $1,000 just spread out across the counter in $50 notes. But what were they doing? They had multiple notes there, genuine notes, and they were comparing it to the one that they suspected as fake. And that they could tell because it was just slightly more yellow than all the others. You could pick it out straight away once you put it amongst ten. If you put it just with one, 
it would have been difficult to spot. But because they had so many genuine articles there, they were able to see it. And that is the case for us today. We need to ask, when any teaching comes along, whenever you read any book, whenever you listen to any preacher, whenever you come across any person that is teaching you something, you need to compare that person what to? You need to compare that person to Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul says in verse 8, really. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on... Christ. Christ is the one that you're meant to look at. Is this teaching that I am hearing about dependent upon Christ? What does this teacher say about Christ? We should be asking of every idea that comes our way, what think ye of Christ? Not necessarily what think ye of God, but what think ye of Christ? Although asking what think ye of God is a very important question, but remember these people are deceitful. We see that in verse 8. They, de- and they, they take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. And they will happily say that they believe in God. They will say all kinds of things about God. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, he is often the stumbling block. He is the sticking point. He is the thing that the false teachers just cannot stomach. They cannot swallow. They cannot say what is true about Jesus Christ. And so what do we ask of the philosophies of the world when they come our way? What do we ask them about the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the big light to shine on the lures of this world is what does a teacher say about Christ's divinity? And it's very interesting that that's the very next thing that the Apostle Paul speaks about in verse 9. After speaking about false ideas, what does he do? Verse 9 For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. The big light to shine on the lures of the world is, what do you say about Christ and his divinity? Will you say that Jesus is God? Not just a prophet, not just a nice moral teacher, but is he God? And you will see that so many of these ideas that are out there that are trying to take you captive cannot bring themselves to say, Jesus is God. And the Apostle John teaches this same principle as we test the spirits of this world. 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4 verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognise the Spirit of God. How do you recognise the Spirit of God? 1 John chapter 4 says, Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. How do you recognise if a spirit is false, if a teacher is false? Ask them, did God come in human flesh? And watch many of them crumble away. And this goes for the demonic as well. 
I was reading an interesting story about uh, in a, biograph- uh, uh, a book about uh, one particular preacher, but it also has an account of, from a biography of a missionary, G. Whitfield Guinness. G. Whitfield Guinness, not George Whitfield, uh, but probably uh, the G is there for George. George Whitfield Guinness uh, and his early experience with the demonic. I'll read, the biography of G. Whitfield Guinness, for instance, tells us of what happened when he and others from a Christian background attended a seance while students at Cambridge. So they're in this seance. For about 20 minutes, nothing particular happened. The table round which they were seated gave no response to the questions put to it, and they were getting distinctly tired. Just two minutes more, urged the medium. The table began to move a little, round and round, then rolled right over and across the room. Aroused to interest, the group began to ply it with questions. Two bangs on the floor meant no, and three bangs on the floor meant yes. One asked, one of the people in the group at the seance, asked whether his brother had just passed his examination. He had just received the news himself. The table gave the right answer. Another wanted to know the number of books on a bookshelf over which a curtain was hanging. It was not the medium's room. The table said 49, which proved to be exactly right. For almost an hour, they, that's the people in the seance, went on showering questions of this table, all of which were correctly answered. Greatly intrigued, they now came to more serious matters and asked how long it would take for them to become initiated, how many seances they would have to attend before they could be considered mediums themselves. Whitfield Guinness was told 13 or 14 times. A strange consciousness of some unseen power was stealing over them all. Whitfield began to be uneasy. Then he remembered the passage, 1 John 4, 1 to 3. Try or test the spirits, whether they are of God. Every spirit which confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that which confesseth not Jesus is not of God. Quietly, he put the question, has Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come in the flesh? The table rose right up about two feet high and crashed out an unmistakable no. That broke up the atmosphere and for Whitfield put an end to tampering with spiritualism. Some who went on with it had grave cause to regret the first steps by which they became enslaved. But he went on to become a medical missionary in China. Many, many of the false ideas that are out there and even the demonic can be quickly dismissed if we will simply ask what they believe about Christ's divinity. Has the Son of God taken on flesh and dwelt amongst humanity? But what if a philosophy affirms Christ is divine? What if they say, yes, the Son of God has taken on flesh and dwelt amongst humanity? What else could we ask to see if a false religion is really a lure trying to take us away from Christ. Well, we should ask, what does a teacher say about Christ's work of reconciliation? And that's what the Apostle Paul goes on to speak of in verses 11 and following. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. We were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins 
having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You want to know if an idea is false? Ask what it makes of Christ and his reconciling work. Is Christ alone the way of salvation by faith? Or is there something else? They may even say, yes, Christ is the way of salvation. Yes, you've got to trust in Jesus. But then they usually have a plus on there if they are a false religion. They will say, but you need to also do this as well. Yes, believe in Christ, but do this. Jesus plus something. And quickly, you're able to see whether something is simply a lure that is trying to make you captive and lead you away from Christ. So there are two ways by which you can discern whether an idea that has come across your path, a teaching that has come across your path, a book that has come across your path is really seeking to take you captive and is empty and false. And at this point, I must then ask you, have you already been snagged? Have you already been taken captive by some false philosophy that is out there? What think ye of Christ? Do you not believe that Christ is God, that the Word became flesh? Do you not believe that Christ alone is the saviour of sin and death and the judgment that is to come? If you can't affirm that Jesus is God, if you can't affirm that Jesus is the only way of salvation, Don't you see that you've already been made captive, that you've been kidnapped through a hollow and deceptive philosophy that has come across your path in some way and that you will one day be carried off to hell for eternity? Don't let it be. Fight against the captors. Get the hook out of your mouth. Trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation before it's too late. Start affirming that Jesus is God. Start affirming that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Believe in him and have eternal life in his name. But if we do believe in Christ, we may still feel somewhat overwhelmed by all the teaching, all the materials that are out there. There are so many false ideas around. There are so many false religions. There are so many people who are speaking about the things of God and the things of this world. How do we have greater discernment? Well, what does Apostle Paul tell us to do in verse 6? Verse 6, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We need to handle the genuine regularly. Not just once, not just know Christ a few times, but we need to handle him regularly. And so then we'll easily spot fakes. We need to be like bankers and not grocers. What do I mean? Well, the girls down at the grocery store, they don't handle notes as much as bankers. They don't handle the the money as much as the bankers do. And I would say that most people who produce counterfeit money do not try to bank them at the bank. They go to a grocery store like the one I visited. Why? Because it's usually a younger person that's working there, handles other things through the day, not just money, and is less likely to notice that they have a fake. And so we need to be people who regularly handle Christ so that, of course, we spot any false teaching that's coming a mile off. We need to joyfully look at Christ and 
Feed upon him. Christ is not empty. He is not deceitful. He is solid food. He is not a lure that is empty on the in the inside. He is not deceitful with a hook hanging out. He is true. And as we enjoy looking at Christ, we'll find the lures not just false that are out there, but actually repulsive. We won't be attracted to them at all. The songwriter Lemel's advice is good advice. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The things of this world that try to capture us will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace because we've turned our eyes upon the Lord Jesus and looked full in his wonderful face. So how can we enjoy looking at Christ more and more? Well, we can study Christ best by listening to what he says about himself in his word. We need to look at his word and see Christ in every passage of scripture, in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. At Bible study on Tuesday nights, at the moment we're studying the Psalms. It seems to be the most logical choice at the time while uh, we've got unsettled uh, times that we're living in and also it makes it a bit easier, I think, uh, for us to do something uh, electronically online to have the study. Uh, but even in the Psalms, we're asking, what can we learn about Jesus each week? We have a series of questions that we work through, the same questions every week as we look at a different psalm. And one of those questions is, what do we learn about Jesus? And I'm not talking about Psalm 2, Psalm 16, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 45, we talk so wonderfully about the Lord Jesus Christ as the King, the King of God. Uh, and, of course, Psalm 110 the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, and of course, reference to Melchizedek. I'm not talking about those Psalms. I'm talking about all the Psalms that we've been looking at. As we see a reference to the right hand, a right hand, we think of Jesus at the right hand of God. When we see a reference to the cup of the Lord or a cup of wrath, what do we think of? We think of Jesus in Gethsemane. Wherever we are in the Bible, we can make a connection to the Lord Jesus Christ in some way. We can learn something more about Christ. We can handle more of Jesus so that we can spot the fakes when they come along. How else can we look at Christ so we spot the lures of the world? Well, we can joyfully study Christ, not just in his word, but also in his people, because Christ resides in them. In them. And this is taught to us even in uh, this passage that we've been looking at in, in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 10, uh, chapter, chapter 2, verse 10, verse 10 of chapter 2, you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised. Again and again we see that we are in Christ. Back in verse 27 of chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Christ is in his people, which means as we gather with his people, as we look at his people, we can learn about Christ. Christ reveals himself in his preachers, in his authors, the people who write books about him, and, of course, in all his people. And that's why times of fellowship are so sweet for us, because... We study Christ moving amongst his people when we gather with brothers and sisters in Christ. And Christ is especially present when his people gather for worship. We have the promise that where two or three gather in his name, he is amongst them. And that Christ is truly among his people when they gather to worship him. 
And this is where I'm sorry to say that online teleconferencing doesn't cut it in the same way. It doesn't cut it in the same way. I dare say that a Christian who fellowships only online over the long term is a greater risk to capture because they're not around God's people in the same way that when we come face to face and we can see so much more. I can see a little bit of you on the screen today, but I can't see as much as I can of the people who I'm gathering with face to face. I can see more of Christ in them, in the way that they interact after the service, that the way they speak to one another than I can over the internet. And this is why we must pray for the lockdown to be lifted so that we can safely come back. We must desire to come back and be in Christ's presence as we were again. Do you desire this? Do you long to handle the genuine by being around brothers and sisters in Christ so that you can spot the lures of this world? I, may, I even encourage you this afternoon to come to the prayer meeting. We're allowed to have 10 people. We didn't make the full 10 last week. There was a privilege that was available for you to come and see Christ in his people as they came and they bowed their heads in prayer to God. You could have learned something about Christ last week if you'd come to that prayer meeting. You're welcome to come this afternoon at 5.30. Just let me know in advance so that we don't have more than 10 people and break the government guidelines. But... I'm sure there'll be a few empty chairs available. Come and see Christ. Study Christ this afternoon as his people gather in his name. So are you, fish, who are alert to the lures of men and demons? Are you seeing to it, as it says in verse 8, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy? Are you ones who handle the genuine? You handle Christ so much that you can easily spot the hollow and deceitful philosophy that is seeking to take you captive. Or do you have to make up for some lost time and handle the genuine far more than you have been so that you see to it that no one takes you captive and drags you away to hell for all eternity? Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak to him. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the one who is not hollow, who is not deceptive. We ask that you would forgive us for not being as wary as we should and for swallowing far too many of the world's lures that have just proven to be hollow, that have just proven to be deceptive. We ask that you would help us to enjoy spending so much time looking at Christ that we can see through false teachings when they come our way and that we would handle Christ so much and love him so dearly and enjoy him so much that we would find the lures of this world and of demons instantly repulsive, not just unattractive. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.